Okay, well, let's pray. Father, tonight we ask you to anoint our ears that we might hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, we're not here to hear me. We're here to hear you, to hear what your word says. And we ask you that you would give me unction and give our ears ability to hear you. Lord, I understand tonight that people are going to hear you in ways that I can't even articulate. Just because it came out of my mouth doesn't mean that's, that's what's going to come in their ear because they're going to hear you, hear you exactly. We pray for a spirit of revelation tonight so that faith will rise in our hearts, so that we will be overcomers and do the thing you've called us to do while we're still in this earth. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. Well, week from tonight is thanks. Tomorrow night is Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm telling you, we have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, if you have a family, that's that's a wonderful thing to have. Well, for most of us, it's a wonderful thing to have family. Even if you don't like them, it's really a wonderful thing. Everybody in this everybody in this room, I think we all have food, shelter, clothing. That's important. I don't know if you realize that or not. We take it for granted most of the time, but it's important that we give thanks. Most of all, we need to give. We need to be thankful for what Jesus did. I mean, what Jesus did for us is indescribable, because what He did, no one else could do. What His blood did for us, there is no equal to that in the universe. We need to be grateful. I tell you tonight, I'm the older I get, the more grateful I am for heaven. I mean, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm not wanting to go before I'm supposed to go, but I'm excited to get there because heaven is, is a great place because that's where we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see the Father face to face because of the blood of Jesus. We've been made righteous and we'll have heaven. I always, always love the holiday of Thanksgiving. It's the hardest one to secularize. I mean, if you're an atheist and we, you call it Thanksgiving, who are you giving thanks to? The Big Bang, I'm not sure who you're giving thanks to. Right? It's hard to secularize it. And when the United States of America has Thanksgiving Day, the world has to take notice. Mostly because the stock market is closed. All right? And so the rest of the world, all of their stock markets are, are closed because ours is closed because we as Americans take a day to give thanks. And the rest of the world understands that our gratitude is to Jehovah God. It is to God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world knows that and it makes some of them so mad. Nevertheless, we still give thanks. Amen. I like Thanksgiving. I like it very much. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, it says, Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. His unspeakable gift. The word unspeakable literally means indescribable. God's gift is indescribable. There is no way that you can describe it for what all it entails. I mean, Christmas is right around the corner. We begin the holiday season by giving thanks. I love it, I love it, I love it. We start the holidays by giving thanks. Not by buying a Christmas tree. We start the holidays by giving thanks. We are grateful to God. Christmas is the second most important event in human history. You might be thinking, well, what's the most important event? 
Well, it's the resurrection is the most important event in human history. When Jesus was raised from the dead. Understanding tonight that when Jesus was born in that manger, he lived a life as a man and not as God. And at any time he could have given up on it. At any time he could have withdrawn from what God called him to do. At any time he's a man. He gave up all of his divinity to become a man. It says that in Philippians chapter 2. He divested himself of all of that. He became a man. He lived as a man without sin. He lived as a man obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the voice of God. He did all of that without flaw as a man. Yeah, but he was the Son of God. He is the Son of God, is, always will be. He also, as a man, did everything he did in the earth. He had to die for our sins as a man, not as God. Because it was man's sin that he died for, not God's sin. And so when Jesus died for us, he died for us as a man. Here's what's cool. Tonight, in heaven, in the Godhead, one of us is there. And it's Jesus, our elder brother. Jesus is there. I'm telling you, the resurrection is so important. Jesus lived his life in perfection. Number one, he knew how to fight in the Spirit. We talked about that a little bit last week. He knew what to say. He knew exactly what to say and who to say it to. The verse we read last week was talking about what he said to Pilate. Let me just read this to you. This isn't a part of my outline, but I just thought I'd read it to you. It says this, then Pilate, this is in John chapter 18, then Pilate entered in the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said to him, Art thou king of the Jews? Here it is. The Bible says he had a perfect confession before Pilate. Perfect before Pilate. I love Jesus' answer. He says, Sayest, this, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? Here's what Jesus said. He said, Did you figure that out by yourself? Or did somebody have to tell you? Jesus was not afraid of Pilate. Not one time was he afraid of him. Because Jesus understood that Pilate did not have the power to kill him. Pilate thought he did. And I'll read that verse in a minute. But he did not have the power to kill Jesus. Jesus had to lay his life down. Understanding that when he laid his life down, that was the only way he could become the sacrifice for sin one time for all men. And he laid his life down. It says, Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? I love, Jesus has the best answers. He says, My kingdom. Now think about that. He's talking to Pilate, who happens to be the king there. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I, sh that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. He told his disciples, he said, I can right now call ten legions of angels and they can rescue me. Jesus was unafraid, absolutely unafraid. Pilate said to him, are you a king then? I love Jesus' answer. He said, you said it. You say that I am a king. To this end I was born and for this Cause I came into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate had no idea. And yet Jesus continued to talk to him. Then the very next chapter, Pilate had him, had him beaten. And, and, and then they took him back to, to Pilate. And it says, then Pilate says unto him, speakest thou not to me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? 
Listen to Jesus' confession. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus is basically saying, you don't have the power. You do not have the power. Jesus knew what was going on. It says after that, Pilate sought for a way to release him. And you've read the other scriptures where it talks about his wife had the dream and said, you can't, you need to get rid of this guy. You cannot keep him in here. And Pilate did everything he could to free Jesus. But it was religion. The, the religious ones were the ones who, who didn't like Pilate, didn't like Jesus. And so Jesus fought in the spirit with his words and he fought in the spirit with something else. He fought in the spirit with the fact that his trust was in God. He trusted God. He did not rely on himself. He trusted in God. Can I tell you where most people lose the battle, the fight of faith? They lose it with their words. And then when they decide they can handle it and not rely upon God. I'll tell you, when, we're, when we are depending on ourselves, we will not win because the fight is a fight of the spirit. And the only spirit being that can empower us the way that we need to be empowered is the Holy Spirit. And we need to be willing to fight in the spirit. With our words, which if you, we're going to go back to this after the first year, which begin with our thoughts because those create our words. And then when, with those words, we now can fight. And then we rely on him. Because I'll tell you, the circumstances will be against you. That's what you said earlier. The circumstances will be against you. And I know that as a young Christian, a young spirit-filled believer, anytime the circumstances were against me, I had this thought that, well, it must not be from God. I thought, well, you know, if God's for me, then everything will work out fine. The reality is if God's for me, I have to listen to his voice and I do what he says in spite of the circumstance because I trust in him. Man, isn't that good? So Christmas, we'll get back to Christmas for a minute. Christmas is about God's gift to mankind. Emmanuel, God with us because God became a man. And as a man, God did all that the father told him to do. Christmas is when God gave his only son. Right? Most people today, and probably many of us, forget the real reason for Christmas on a daily basis. When you get, I don't know, to Walmart, I hope you don't have to do this, and you're going to the doorbuster sale, and you, you want to get that TV that's on sale, many Christians lose their spirituality when six people <laughs> grab the TV before they do. And they say bad things or they're holding on to it. They're dragging them out of the store. Whatever's going on. We need to understand the real reason for the Christmas season is Jesus and that God came to us. I read recently that said in December 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in, in getting their flying machine off the ground. Okay, They were thrilled. They telegraphed the message to their sister Catherine. Their message said, we have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine was so excited that she went to the editor of the local newspaper, showed him the message. He glanced at it and he said, well, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He missed the biggest news 
of the decade that man had flown. Many times that's what happens at Christmas. We miss the biggest news of the season, that God became a man, and that that man went to the cross and died for us, and that we now have eternal life because of what Jesus did. I tell you, that is so important. Don't miss Christmas this year. The word Christmas literally means Christ Mass. Mass means celebration. It's a celebration of the Messiah. The good news is that the Messiah didn't remain a baby, but the Messiah fulfilled his destiny, went to Calvary. More than that, that he was buried, went to hell for you and me, was brought out of hell, and is, is ascended on high, and we, because he was raised, will be raised and have eternal life with him. I tell you, that's the purpose of Christmas. It's indescribable. His gift is beyond description. Really, it's too good for words. So much attention this time of year goes toward the wrong things. Am I right? I mean, we think about a lot of things. There's too much stress about the gifts. Too much stress about the food. Too much stress about the relatives. Too much stress about the travel. Going to the airport. Wearing the mask. Fighting the people. Too much stress about all that stuff. I mean, all those things. I mean, some people just thinking about going to the mall because their blood, le- blood pressure level to rise several points. Just the thought of walking in that place. Here's what the Bible says. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be careful for nothing. Literally, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, surely God knows what kind of person I am that I'm just anxious sometimes. No, there's not an exception here. The Bible said, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything is what he's saying. Don't worry about anything. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Trusting in God. Believing in him. Don't worry about anything. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, take no heat, no thought for your life. That phrase, take no thought, means take no anxious thought. Take no worrisome thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink. Or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? I mean, sometimes people just worry about the wrong things. What are we going to fix them for dinner? What are we going to have for Thanksgiving? Well, it's important. And you want to honor your guests. But it's not so important you'd have to worry about it. Amen. All the men are like, yeah, why would anybody worry about that? Because we don't do it, that's why. So we need to work on, this this Christmas, let's work on a stress-free Christmas. Wouldn't that be fun just to have no stress? I used to get so mad at Christmas at Santa Claus. I mean, I just thought Santa took all the attention away from Jesus. I mean... I always thought, you know, you have you have you have Santa, S A N T A. You move the end from the middle to the end and you got Satan. I mean I just I just thought, man, that guy's taking he's taking all the attention away. Then one day we were at the mall and I saw this candle or something of Santa Claus kneeling down to baby Jesus. And I thought, maybe I have it all wrong. Maybe Santa is not all that bad. I mean, Christmas is to commercialize, there's no question about that. But again, this is another one of those days when the whole world is, effect, is affected by our faith in Jesus. 
Why? Because the stock market is closed. And they have to pay attention to the fact that the stock market is closed. Because that's a part of the culture of this great land that God gave to us. I mean, in fact, if you ever read the, if you ever read the history of, of Nicholas, who became St. Nick or Santa Claus, you'll find he really was a very good man. And he really loved the Lord. He really loved people. All right. The Bible says this, 1 Samuel 2.30. It says, Them that honor me will I honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Christmas ought to be a time to honor God. Let's honor him this Christmas season. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 25, he said, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And what you hear shall be to, unto you that hear more shall be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. To him that hath not, for him shall be taken, even that which he hath. What's he talking about? He's talking about honoring God. He's talking about honoring the Word. If we honor the Word, we get more of the Word. If we don't honor the word, then we lose what we have. We honor God. This Christmas season, that needs to be what we do. The Bible says in Isaiah 45, 15, Verily thou art a God that hidest himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Who does God hide from? He hides from those who don't honor him, who don't honor his word. He's a God who must be sought after. We seek him with all of our heart. We seek him with everything we have. Yes, he's easy to find if we'll seek him. But he hides himself. This Christmas season, we need to honor God. I think it's important that we have great traditions. But let me just say, if you have traditions that don't agree with the word, they might be okay, but they don't produce anything for you. We need to have those traditions and do what we're supposed to do. We need to celebrate Christmas. So, let's read this text. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know what this is talking about. This is talking about the night that Jesus was born, out of Luke chapter 2. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. It literally says, and on earth peace with men to all men with whom God is pleased, is what it says in the, in the, in the Greek language. And it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now, even to Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Well, then we talk about, began talking about Christmas last time. We talked about Joseph. We talked about Mary. So tonight, I'm going to continue talking about the rest of the story. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> We're going to talk about the shepherds and the wise men tonight. So let's talk about the shepherds for a minute. Immediately after Mary had the baby. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to relax and have a stress-free message. I'm going to try not to raise my voice too much, but be interesting enough that you don't fall asleep. 
right after she had this baby, the Bible says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, these shepherds that were in this field were in Bethlehem. And that's very important. They had to be in Bethlehem because they went straight into the town to look for the baby. All right, The field that these shepherds were, were in is called the shepherd's field. It's still called that today, over 2,000 years later. The shepherd's field, where these shepherds actually were. And why is that important? Because the, in this field, the sheep were being raised for temple sacrifices. All these shepherds were watching sheep that would be used as a sacrifice in the temple. They weren't just any sheep. They were set aside. They were consecrated to be sacrificial lambs, and they were considered to be holy unto the Lord. These shepherds were watching the lambs. They're watching after these holy lambs. So these weren't just any shepherds. These were different shepherds. They're a special group. Their job was to watch the sacrificial lambs. The Bible says they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Literally what it says there is they were, they were guarding and watching. Or they were guarding and guarding. They were serious shepherds. They had been assigned the serious task of constantly guarding sheep that were used for the, for the sacrifices in the temple. I think that's pretty important. That tells you a lot about what's going on here on the night Jesus was born. When, he, when the angel announced the birth, he was declaring the mission of the Messiah. He says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. When it says the angel came upon them, what, what that's talking about is this glory of the Lord shone round about them. This wasn't like the glory that was all, everybody could see it in all that area. It came right to that field, right to that shepherds. It's like a laser beam of glory from God coming to those guys. They're very important here because that's what it says in the Greek. It's right to them, right to them is where that came. All right. It says it came upon them. The word here describes a sudden, surprising, glorious appearance that takes one off guard. Duh. I mean, just imagine here, you are, you're out here, you're watching sheep, it's just a regular night, you're watching the sheep, and all of a sudden, this laser beam of light comes, and there's an angel right there talking to you. I mean, it's no wonder the angel said, don't be afraid, okay? So this arrival caught him by surprise, I mean, it had to be a dazzling event, just, just imagine if that's you, and all of a sudden, the angel is talking to you. I mean, that's pretty cool. And then, then after he said, he began to speak. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not. That's the first thing angels say. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I like it when he says, behold. The word behold is, is the Greek word, uh, idu, which means, wow. <laughs> I mean, he's not, it's not like, behold. You know, we, we see things, we get kind of religious. Behold. No, that's not what he said. It's like, wow, I got something to tell you right now. I mean, this angel of the Lord was excited to be there. He's excited about what's going on. He's, he, he says, man, this is absolutely amazing. For unto you, unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior. I mean, that is, that's an awesome thing. He appears to them. The birth had already taken place. He said, in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. I mean, it's a stone's throw from where they are. He comes and he says, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The first word he called him, he called him Savior. The word Savior, the Greek word is, is soter, which means deliverer, Savior, healer. 
preserver. He's telling them in this manger, in this baby, he is the deliverer. He's the savior. I like it. He's the healer. He's the preserver. Man, that's why the Bible says that, that, that our youth can be renewed like the eagles. Because in Jesus we're preserved. But we're also preserved for eternity. He delivers us from hell and from death. Delivers us from all of those things. In the, I mean, you, this, guy, this, is, this is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He came to set men free from the dominion of Satan's rule. He, he, he brought saving power. He's still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He still has saving power, delivering power, healing power, preserving power. Jesus Christ. He said he was Christ. That's, that's a powerful word. The word comes from the Greek word Christos, which means Christ, the anointed one. It's equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. He said, here is, here is the healing Messiah, the delivering Messiah. Here is the saving Messiah, the preserving Messiah. He's telling who this one is that's born there. He's anointed is what the word means. He's anointed to heal, anointed to deliver. Anoint, as I said, he's still anointed. He's still anointed to do all those things. And he called him Lord, Christ the Lord. The Greek word here is kurios. I said I was going to be calm, but I can't be calm during this part. He, the Greek word is kurios. That, that, that word was capitalized in the Greek, just like it's capitalized in the English New Testament. Kurios means Lord or absolute Lord, boss, controller. He's talking about who Jesus is. There's no higher authority, no higher power than Jesus Christ the Lord. That's who he is. In all the world, in all the universe, he is supreme. Ooh, I like that. Isn't that good? And then he says, then he says, so so the shepherds, they gotta figure out who this guy is. I mean, wouldn't you you want you want to you want to you want some kind of a way to know which one this is this is this is, okay? Because all these people are visiting town. You gotta figure out who he is. And so they wanted to go find this Christ the Lord. So he said, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That was the sign. That's how they were going to know if they found the right baby that night. He's going to be, he's going to be, the word sign, the Greek word is simeon, which describes a sign to alert a viewer as to where he is or what he's seeing. It means to document, to verify, to guarantee. It's proof. He's saying this is going to be a sign to you. That's interesting. Not to the whole world. You and I aren't going to go find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's talking to shepherds. He said, it literally says, this is a sign especially for you. He said, this is a shepherd's sign. This is something that you're going to recognize. These are symbols that they would understand. He said, you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The word find is pretty important because it means that they got to look. you got to look for him. They're searching for him. They're seeking him. I mean, they they got to go out there. The word is hurisco in the Greek. And it, it points to a discovery made due to an investigation. We get the word eureka from this Greek word. They're going to find him and they're going to say, eureka, that's him. That's the one that we've been looking for all of our lives. Every Jewish boy knew about the Messiah. Everyone knew that he was coming. They were all looking for him. He says, you'll find him a babe, which means a newborn. This is the very night 
that Jesus was born. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I'm going to talk about swaddling clothes next time, but here's a hint. It has to do with them being shepherds. They would recognize what swaddling clothes were, and they, they were supposed to take care of the sheep. I mean, it would have been something they were used to seeing. So here's what he basically said. Hey, guys. First of all, he's excited. He's like, wow, this is something amazing. You know, I know you take care of sacrificial lambs, but y'all looking at the wrong lamb. You're looking at the wrong one. I mean, the real lamb of God has just been born in Bethlehem. And when you see him, you're going to know him because he's going to be wrapped in these swaddling clothes and he's going to be lying in a manger. This is a sign that's especially for shepherds. Man, I love this story, don't you? I mean, this angel was so excited about it. And so I love this. And the moment the angel of the Lord finished delivering his announcement, the Bible says, and suddenly. Now think about that. It's already, you already got the one angel. And suddenly a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Could you just imagine that night? I mean, all of a sudden, you, it's one th- you see this angel, your mouth is already dropped open. And then now the heavenly host is there. That has to do with the army of heaven. All these angels... They all came to earth for this one night because they'd never seen the face of God. And they're coming to earth. They're going to see the face of God lying in a manger. The whole army of heaven. They're so excited to get here. I mean, can you just imagine they gave the Okay, we're going to earth. Ready to go. They were ready to get here. They wanted to see the Messiah. They, they, it was so unusual to them. Why would God want to be a man? Why would he value man so much? Why would he come as a baby? They were so intrigued by this whole thing, they wanted to get here. Now, I want you to notice something. It says, it says there was this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. It never says they were singing. I just messed up some tradition right here. Most people assume they were singing, right? Angels, we, what is, what's the song? Angels, we, somebody, hark the herald angels sing. That's the one. They were singing. We assume they were singing, but the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not one instance in the Bible of an angel singing. There is an instance where the Bible says that God sings over his people in Zephaniah. I mean, he sings over us. I mean, the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, uh, they worship before God before his throne, but there's no mention that an angel ever sings. Just thought I'd throw that out to you, just in case... Just, 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 so, just so you know, you'll have that for you. Have you ever seen an angel before? I've seen an angel before. They don't look like singers. They are very, very austere creatures. If you got one on your side, that's the one you want to be on your side. And the Bible says they hearken to the voice of the word. And when I speak the word, they hearken to the word that I speak. And they're released, not by me, by the word to do what God bids them to do. I'm telling you, they're awesome creatures. And it says, it goes on to say, and, after, and it came to pass, when the, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this, this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. 
And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now they had to look at lots of caves to find Jesus in a manger. They had to see lots of mangers where there was no baby. But they found him. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. That's powerful. This is the first evangelists in the New Testament. They went out and told everybody. Can I just tell you, if you see an angel, if you're, if you're a shepherd in the field and you're watching at night and this angel comes, you're probably going to tell somebody. And then all of a sudden the whole multitude comes. You're probably wanting to, see, you're like bursting at the seams to talk about it. And you go find this baby in a manger, a sign especially for you. You're going to talk about that. They became evangelists. Isn't that good? Now let's look at this story. This is in Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. The wise men, you all know the story, saying, you know, we three kings of of Orient are. (laughs) Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. Now listen to the next phrase. And all Jerusalem with him. Why would that trouble a whole city? They were troubled. And when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Listen, he gets all the religious people in there. The Jewish religious people said, where is he born at? I got to know. It says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judea, and art not the least among the princes of Judea, for out of thee shall come a governor, that shall rule thy people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young, lad, young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Now this is a really important story in the Bible. I don't have a lot of time to talk about Herod, but Herod was a bad man. He was very, very challenged. He was threatened. Anybody who ever threatened him, it's because he was insecure. He was afraid somebody was going to take his kingdom. Whenever somebody threatened him or was projected to be king, they were eliminated. And he didn't waste any time. He took care of them. He was so insecure that when the Magi came, to see Jesus after his birth, Matthew said, Now, they were born in Judea, and there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. The word, that's interesting. It says, it says, Behold, there came wise men. The word behold is the same word edu that we saw the angels say. It's used, and it means bewilderment, shock, amazement, wonder. They came, and, and they said, they said, everybody came to him and said, Wow, there are magi here. The Magi have come to our town. I mean, they were amazed that these people came. They said, can you imagine it? You won't believe, Herod, what I'm getting ready to tell you. The Magi came here. 
And he says, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, the word wise men, the Greek word is, is magos. We get the term magi from that. It describes a group of median priests and astronomers that were strongly influenced by Daniel, the prophet in Babylon. They, I mean, they held a very powerful position in that era. In fact, according to a historian that, that I've read, or two or three historians I've read from, they were considered to be kingmakers. These were powerful men. I grew up thinking they had three guys on camels. By the time they got to Jerusalem, their clothes were worn out. They were tired. Their bread was molded. I mean, they, and they had a little little box of gold, maybe with two or three coins, and, and maybe a little bottle of myrrh, and you know, and all that. I just think there's, there's these three poor old guys that were out there, and I'm thinking, you know, they're like 80 years old, and they finally get there. But they're not lowly kings or lowly priests traveling through the wilderness by camel on camels by themselves. They're a group of very powerful men from the Median Empire, and they're looking for Jesus. They came to Herod. They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now imagine if you're Herod and these powerful figures are there saying, we're looking for the king, and it's not you. <laughs> where is he? I mean, he said, we saw a star. We've come to worship him. <coughs> they're going to worship Jesus. It, it, it's, I mean, there, there is, it, what, it, it literally says, it says, and they were saying, the word saying, the, the Greek word is legontes, which is a verb indicates an ongoing activity. So what it's saying is they kept on saying and saying and saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They're coming through town, and they're saying and saying, announcing. They're, they're coming through. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? These powerful men from the east. I mean, the word king, the Greek word is, is basilius, which describes a king, an emperor, the highest ruler. I mean, it's capitalized in the Greek as well as the English, and it means the greatest and highest king to ever be born. Think about that now. Herod is already insecure. And they're coming through town. They're saying, where is the highest king to ever be born? Where is he? And they're like, surely you know. I mean, surely. I mean, we've, come, we've seen his star. We've come all this way. Where, where is he? It says they wanted to know where he was so they could worship him. I love that. The word worship, the, the Greek word is, is, is proskunio, which means to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior, to fall down, to prostrate oneself, to adore on one's knees, to worship with all necessary physical gestures of worship. That's what's in their heart. They've traveled from afar, and they're coming because their whole goal is to worship the king. Their intention was to find this prophesied king of kings, and they're going to bow to the ground before him and worship him and give him adoration. That's what Christmas is all about for us, worshiping him. Now let me tell you a little bit about history, that tells, what it tells us about the Magi. Mark, Luke, and John don't say anything about the Magi. Matthew gives us some good information. When Daniel, though, was taken to Babylon in 600 B.C., many scholars, in fact most scholars about this, believe that he became the head of the Magi. Remember how he did that? He interpreted the dream. He became the head of the Magi. Okay? And as such, his prophecies, his writings were very well known and considered sacred for the Magi. They studied the writings of, of Daniel. And for hundreds of years, they studied them. I mean, Daniel, we know, could interpret dreams. He had visions. He could hear from God. And so his influence was felt in Babylon for centuries. 
because he was the wisest one of them. So Babylon was pagan, but Daniel possessed such a godly influence in Babylon that, that people revered his faith. And you know he got thrown in the lion's den. And, 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 and uh, uh, the king was like, I hope he lives. And he did live. And so it was a good thing. All right? So he, due to his influence, they believed, these magi believed and were waiting for a leader to be born that Daniel prophesied about. They were looking for him. All right. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was a general belief among many, many religions in the world that a mighty world leader was about to be born. And they were just waiting for it. All right. Most of that was due to the writings of Daniel. Now, as I mentioned, two or three historians call the Magi, uh, they, they call them kingmakers. And they were, they were considered by many to be even more powerful than kings. They were very rich. They were very powerful. I mean, with a word, according to one historian I read, they could elevate a man to the position of king or, dis- depo- de- or, or depose him as, as just a common man. No one could become a king in the Eastern world without the Magi giving permission. So the kings were respectful of the Magi, even terrified of them. I mean, they were financially rich. They were political, spiritual leaders. They, dev- they interpreted dreams, all kinds of things. When they traveled, they did so in huge caravans, huge caravans. It wasn't just three dudes coming across the desert on camels. I mean, history tells us, this is, this is true in history, that one time the Magi came to Rome to see Nero. And, and when they came, it terrified Nero because he knew of the power and the influence they possessed. I mean, he knew that. So he rolled out the red carpet for them, treated them like royalty because they were. And I mean, this is the same guy who was ruthless and killed everybody else he wanted to kill. But he, when he saw these guys, he treated them with respect. I mean, the same way that Nero responded to these guys, so, so, so did Herod. I mean, he reacted the same way. They were seeking the one born king of the Jews. I mean, in his mind, them being there posed a serious threat. He had to be thinking, why are they here? What are they coming to do? Am I in trouble? Anyway, these, three, these, these guys, they came to worship Jesus at his birth. They wanted to find him. They wanted to acknowledge these kingmakers were acknowledging the king of kings. They were acknowledging the Lord of lords. I mean, due to Daniel's prophecy, they saw in the constellation, they saw the star, they figured out what was supposed to happen. So how many wise men were there, do you think? Well, early Christian writers say that, that there were three magi that came to search for Jesus. Others say there were 12. I mean, I, I, we don't know that for sure. We, we know and we, we, we understand from what we hear that there were at least three, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. We know those three guys, right? We've seen, we've seen all the stories. I mean, the details are unclear, but we know this, that they could have been as much as 12, and they, they were very powerful, and they came to see Jesus. They traveled in a huge caravan. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people. For them, it meant these people traveling with them, and they took, they took care of every need that the Magi had. I mean, they came and they offered it. They came looking for the king of kings. When they came to Jerusalem, it created a big stir. I mean, they knew they were coming days before they got there because this was a huge caravan coming to Jerusalem. They knew they were approaching the city. It says, when he heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. They were troubled because they knew that people who were looking for a king that wasn't Herod got killed. And they were afraid it was going to be them. Because he wasn't going to kill the Magi. 
And so they were afraid that they were in trouble. They followed the star and they came and they wanted to present their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the king of kings. Can I tell you something? It wasn't a little bit of gold. It wasn't a little bit of frankincense. It wasn't a drop of myrrh. These people unloaded wagons of treasures to Jesus because they opened their treasures. How do you think Jesus and his family lived in Egypt for all those years? Joseph, the skilled, the skilled man, didn't have credentials to work in Egypt. He had to have a way to make a living for his family. I'm telling you, that stuff kept them alive and well taken care of for a long, long time. But the Magi came, and they came to worship the king. They saw his star. They came to worship him. So here's what I want you to take away from what I just said. Christmas time is a time to announce the good news that the Messiah has come. Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Healer, the Preserver. He has come. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is a time of extravagant worship to the King of Kings. We need to worship him with all we have. In this crazy world we live in, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, needs to be the center of what we focus on. Because this was not just a happenstance so that kids can get presents at Christmas time. This changed the world and has changed our eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, tonight we thank you for the birth of Jesus. We thank you tonight, God, that you didn't make a mistake in the way you brought him into the world. You didn't make a mistake in what you did with him. That, Lord, you knew exactly what you were doing and that that night changed the world. Just like it had to change the lives of those three or twelve wise men. It had to change the lives of those shepherds. For sure it changed the lives of Joseph and Mary. Lord, we thank you that it's changed our lives as well. Tonight we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.